sharp disdain. He lifts his head and whispers in the night. If there's a God above, please send someone in love to comfort me and show me what is right. His brow was creased and Good? Good. Amen. Well, I'm so glad, Pastor, that you don't have one of these big, long things, because it, it usually lands right here, and I have to move it. I, I, like that, I like that little mic. It's not intimidating. Amen? 
Um, glad to be here. I'm excited about your conference and um, uh, the theme. The theme. See your calling. See your calling. Uh, it's, it's wonderful how things work sometimes, because uh, I didn't know that that was the theme until Monday, but the message were already set for this week. So, well, the Lord's good. He's good. He brings everything into line. Such a great God we have. Amen. And uh, glad to be here. Look forward to meeting the missionaries that will be coming in and, and getting to meet new people. I love meeting new people. So we're so thankful for that. If you would, open your Bibles. And I, I really believe it's important as we start looking into missions, because y'all are going into basically a, a meeting right now, a business meeting. Amen. Deciding the faith of many people. And I want to encourage you this week. I hope, I hope we can uh, just get a deeper burden for the things that maybe already are in place in our lives. I, I'm, I'm 62, and I, I find that I'm still growing. And, and, and God, and sometimes I look back at what's been accomplished, and I think, wow, we haven't done anything. We just not, we're, not, we're not there yet. And so uh, I think that's a great mind to have when we consider the things of God. And so this week, I want to share with you some, some, some heart issues. I want to share with you the heart of God. I want to share with you the heart of a missionary. And then, and then as we close the week, I want to share with you the vision, the personal vision, your vision. So uh, I'm excited. See your calling or see your mission, see your vision that you're supposed to have. Amen. So let's uh, let's look at the Bible here. We're we're going to look this morning into uh, Luke chapter eighteen. If you'd find it, Luke eighteen. And we're going to be reading verses thirty-five through forty-one. And we're going to look at the heart of God, the heart of God. It says, and it came to pass that as they as he was come nigh unto Jericho. A certain blind man sat by the wayside begging, and hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him, that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. When he was come near, he asked him, saying, What will thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, thy faith have saved thee. And immediately he received his sight, followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, the power that lies within it. God, we ask that you use your word to penetrate our hearts and minds, that you set us on that path, Lord, that you desire for our lives, that we would fulfill the mission that you have given each and every one of us, that we would not waver, become afraid, that we would not worry. We would know that you are in control and that you have delivered us and given us power. God, we pray you'll bless us today. Bless us in the days to come. May we see souls saved, not only here, but all over the world. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 
It's important this morning that you remember that, that you're, you're in a business meeting about missions, basically. A business meeting. You're deciding what you're going to do for the future. And in doing that, we need to make sure that the heart of God is at the center of what we decide to do for him. Amen? And so I want to share some thoughts with you about the heart of our Lord. Now, we know that God loved the world because in John chapter 3, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. And then we know that Jesus Christ loves the world because in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, meaning he had riches beyond imagination, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. The Lord set aside uh, uh, the heavenly riches that he had, and he came down, and he died on the cross of Calvary. And he did that so that we could be taken from our state of poverty and placed into a state of riches. Of riches. What riches are we talking about here? He said, but, but I got saved, and I hadn't seen those riches yet. Yes, you have. Oh, you've seen the riches because we had the, our riches are in heaven. Amen. We be, we, we're, we're partakers of the heavenly riches that Jesus has. And, and we're rich. We're rich. We've been given a rich uh, estate of the things of God. A richness to go out and preach his word and share the gospel and spread the wealth. Amen. And so we're rich. And, he, and we know that uh, God expects something from us. We know he expects something for us. We find that in John 7, uh, 37. If you, if you got your Bible, just turn there right quick. It says, in the last day, in verse 37, it says, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, if we're saved, if we're saved, we should have rivers of living water flowing out of our belly. Look at verse 39. It says, But this spake he of the Spirit. Well, now we can get it into context what he's talking about here. Which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So, I got saved, brother. Amen. I remember when I got saved. Bible says, Jesus said, Jesus said, uh, if we are in him, that we would have a, a belly of a river that flows. And it's full of living water. And that means the Holy Spirit is getting out of us. His influence is affecting everything around us. It means that we walk in the power of God. It doesn't mean that we slay people and hit them over the head. I don't want to be hit over the head. You want to be hit over the head, Pastor? I don't want to be hit over the head. I don't want anybody slaying me in the spirit. I, I got in the spirit. I don't need to be slayed in the spirit. Amen? <laughs> I'm fine the way I am. Don't, don't try to slay me now. And so uh, uh, we have the spirit. In Acts chapter 1, just to further iterate this, in Acts chapter 1, just quickly... It says in verse 8, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Now, I want to set your mind about something here. Because this is 
introduction. This is introduction. I want you to be thinking about your life and your walk. Your life and your walk. Is it powerful? When you come on the scene, do things happen? Because you are walking in the Spirit of God. See, giving salvation to the world and giving salvation to others is really not about us. It's all about us doing what Jesus said. We don't have to be afraid to share the gospel because we're only following the power that we've been giving through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. We don't have to be, we don't have to be uh, bothered when somebody's not nice to us because it doesn't affect us. It's not against us. And so uh, we are empowered. We're empowered. Let the heart of our Lord be in you. Now that was introduction. Now I want to share with you about three things that happens in this episode. Remember something. You want to learn how to do something well, and you want to be powerful at it, and you want to see great things happen in your life. The best example for you to follow in life is that of Jesus Christ. Hey, you want to know how to do something right? Just do what Jesus did, amen? Do it the way he said to do it. And if, if we do things the way that Jesus said for us to do things, great things happen. Powerful things happen. Because the power is not limited, nor was it ever meant to be limited or pressed upon the pastor or the deacons or, or the assistant pastor or the youth pastor. Listen, this is for everybody. Anybody that breathes and lives the Lord Jesus Christ because he's in you, you've been saved, this is for you. The job of walking like Jesus is for all of us. Everywhere we go. Everywhere we're at. Remember what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5? Let this Mine be in you, that of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our, that's our. So we have this setting now. We have the setting of what we're going to talk about. Here we have Jesus is on his way to Jericho. All right? Let's just read the first two verses. It says, And it came to pass that he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. So here's, here's where we're at. Now, we're going to consider the stage up here. Pastor, this, this stage is three time, four times the size of my first church in the Dominican Republic. <laughs> the stage here. Uh, this is a big stage. Uh, let's consider this the wayside. This is where the blind beggar was. This is the wayside. And let's look at the wayside as a mission field. It's a mission field. All right. This could be Japan. It could be it could be Ireland. It could be Jerusalem. It could be it could be China. This is the wayside. It could be it could be the, the closest cities and, and neighborhoods to the church. This could be any part 
of our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. You know what Jerusalem is, right? Jerusalem is the area close to you, close to your church. And your Judea is the area that goes with outside that area of your church. And then you know what the Samaritans are, right? They're the unwanted ones, right? Remember, Jesus said, I must go to Samaria. And the disciples said, Lord, we got to go around Samaria. We ain't going through Samaria. We got to go around. And Jesus said, no, I got to go through it. That's, that could be the blind beggar. That could be, that could be a, a person on the street that you see on the corner somewhere holding a sign. It could, be, it could be somebody that's in the gas station, but they're not inside the store because they already wrote them out of there. They can't be in there. So they're not, that's, that's like your Samaritans. And then the other most parts of the world, which could be the Dominican Republic, could be China, could be Israel, could be any place outside those three areas. And so here we have the wayside. And we have a blind beggar. And the, it says that he's begging. And the reason he is begging is because he can't see. So he doesn't have a way to go out and get a job and establish himself and make money because he can't see. He's blind. He's just like all the other ones that are on the wayside. They're blind. They, they don't know that there's another choice or another way. They don't, they don't understand that there is hope. Many of them. Because they're blind. So this blind beggar, he's there, he's begging. And as the people come by, he's getting a little something, a little something here, a little something there. And each day he goes out and he gets what he needs to live because people are giving him something. But the problem is he's not getting the right something, amen? <laughs> he's getting everything that he really doesn't need because the one thing he really needs is he needs his sight. And so it says there that the blind beggar is on the wayside. And he hears the commotion. He says, what does it mean? What is this, what is this commotion about? And then we have the highway, right? They said, they said to him, they said to him, in verse 37, they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passed by. So we have the wayside. That's where all those people are that are in need of Jesus, they're in the wayside. That's everybody that's lost. They're in this wayside. But then you got Jesus. Now, I was thinking about these steps a while ago. I saw those kids tripping, and, and some of them tripping, coming up and other steps. I said, now, I hope I don't trip on those steps, because <laughs> I'm probably going to be up and down them a little bit. It's okay if I come down here, right, Pastor? All right? Now, this is the road to Jericho right here. Did y'all know that? Many of you have tread this road right here often. This is the road to Jericho. This is the road that Jesus was on. Jesus was on the road to Jericho. He had a purpose. He had a reason. He had to go to Jericho. He had to go to Jericho. He was discouraged to go to Jericho, but he had to go to Jericho. And he's on the path. And I'm going to tell you, life is discouraging. This life is not... It's not something that we have a lot of encouragement about right now. But let me tell you something. All you got to do is remember who we are and where we're going and realize life doesn't need to be encouraging. Amen. If you got Jesus in your sight, it's encouraging. Amen. If you're thinking about heaven, 
if you're thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ, what we're supposed to be doing here on earth and why we're here, it's encouraging. Okay? Not discouraging. I didn't get discouraged in COVID. Not one time. We didn't miss a lick. We just said, oh, we got to change some things. We've got to do some things different. Okay, we're going to add in a Bible study here. We're going to add in a Bible study here. We're going to do this different. We're going to do this different. And now we got more exposure than we ever had. You know what that is? Turning the bad of Satan into something good. Amen? You can always turn what he does into something good. Just got to keep our eyes on Jesus. But Jesus is on the pathway. He's coming into Jericho. Now, I want you to think about this pathway with me for just a second. Jesus is not walking the pathway today the way he walked it back then, because back then he was here. Amen. But let me ask you a question. Do you believe that when you get saved, that Jesus is in you? You believe that? I mean, I believe that. The Bible says, he says, Open the door and I'll come in. I opened the door one day and he came in and I'm glad he came in because I needed him to come in. Amen. And so Jesus is in me. And if you're saved and know you're going to heaven, he's in you. And so wherever you go, Jesus is there. And today, Jesus is still walking the pathway, but he's walking it with us. Amen. Everywhere we go, Jesus is right there with us. When we're going down the pathway, multitudes are still there. The, the wayside is still there. And, and Jesus is there. And not only that, but we got a, a river of living water flowing through the power that he has given us through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is still passing by. Now listen, I want to tell you something. Sometimes we take Jesus to places he don't want to go. We need to think about where we're taking Jesus. Because let me tell you something. He is with you if you're saved. And he's going where you go. He sees what you see. And, and he, he's going with you where you go. And, and you should tell, not take Jesus to places he don't want to go. Now, some people do. I don't recommend it. So Jesus is passing by through me and through you wherever we go. That means that the pathway of Jericho is modified. Is there anything in the Word of God that would encourage us to understand that that is what Jesus meant all along? We find that in John 14. I think 14 or 12, 14. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. He says in verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe for the sake of, for the very work sake. Let me read that again. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the very sake, work's sake. Then he says in verse 12. Very I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto the Father. You know what you and I are in this world? We are an extension of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to build on his work 
for him. Uh, he has multiplied the ability to reach the world, and there's no excuse for us not to get it done. <laughs> he has said that we are to continue the work and that we're to believe for the work's sake, we're, for the work's sake, for the very sake of the gospel, we are supposed to get out there and do everything we can every day of the week. We are not to let Satan interfere with the work of God and what Jesus has commanded us to do. And so here we are. We have the wayside. This is all the mission fields of all areas of the world. And here's the path of Jericho that passes them all by. We're all on the path. We're all walking the path. Now I want to show you three things that happened as Jesus was passing by. First thing I want you to see, uh, four things. First thing I want you to see is what happened when the blind beggar tries to engage Jesus Christ. What happened? Look there at uh, verse 38. When Jesus heard, when uh, uh, the blind man heard that Jesus was passing by, look what he says. He says, and he cried saying, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And it says, and they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, thou son of David. So here's Jesus. He's coming in. He's got this great multitude with him. Just imagine that. He's got this huge multitude with him, and they're coming in. They're coming in Jericho. They're all around him. And some of the guys over here that are not over there where Jesus is, they, they hear this blind beggar. And they said, hey, we, you're, you're blind. You just can't see. We know that. We see that. But Jesus has a whole multitude. And if you could see, you would know that there is absolutely no way that Jesus will have time for you today. There are people all around him. Some are touching him. Some are asking him for something. Uh, everybody that's around him is desiring something. And the noise, you know, you heard the noise. And so Jesus has no time for you. Jesus has no time for you. Isn't that the way life is? Hmm? We're walking through this life, and we may not have the multitude around us, but we don't need the multitude, because we have, we have emails and text messaging, and we have Facebook, and we have, we have the computer games that we just got to play, and we have a lot of influence around, and it's like that multitude to where we just can't. We can't take in anything else. And the noise that Satan provides is so loud, it drowns out everything around us. And it blinds us. It closes up our ears. And it shuts down the power of God. We don't have to pray for more power. We have the power. We just have to ask God to help us get rid of some things. Amen. We got all the power we need. It's available. It's flowing like a river. Amen. It's like a river that flows. Amen. And, and so we don't have to worry about, we don't have to worry about the power because he's made sure we have the power. And, and, and they said, you, you need to be quiet. 
that blind beggar, he calls out again, and he cries out, and he says, he says, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. You know what he was saying? He was saying, Son of God, have mercy on me. That's what he was saying. When you, when you see that phrase, Thou son of David, in the Bible, you just know that that person knows that that's the Son of God walking down through there. And he says, Son of God, Son of the living God, hear me. Have mercy on me. You know, that was the story of my life. That was the story of my life. I grew up down in Georgia. And my father, he was, he was, he was an alcoholic. Now, he was a real alcoholic. But when he got drunk, he, which was all the time, he, he, he liked to fight. And I remember as a kid, when I was uh, young, I remember sleeping many nights under my bed. And some nights in my closet. And it, it was so that when he came and opened the door, he wouldn't find me. And uh, years went by, and, and, and I turned 16, and and one day my twin sister came. She came running. She said, Ronnie, come quickly. Come quickly. Daddy's beating Grandma up. I remember I jumped out of the bed. I was 16 years old, but I jumped out of that bed. I ran downstairs, and sure enough, my dad was on top of my grandmother. And he was just fixing to hit her in the face. I remember I hit him as hard as I could. I knocked him off of her. I didn't hang around to see what happened after that. I grabbed my grandmother, threw her on my shoulder, ran up the steps through, the, through our, our basement, up the steps, through the kitchen, took her out to the garage, set her in the car. I said, do not move. I'll be back in a minute. I ran downstairs, and there, there was my dad fighting with my, my three sisters and my mother. We literally fought him through the basement, up through the kitchen, out into the carport. And when we got in the car, I, I had knocked him down. We got into the car. And the last thing I remember that I never could forget about that night was my dad jumped up on top of the hood of the car and he was hitting the windshield with his fist trying to bust it to get to us. And I remember on the way home that night, I was thinking, I cannot live this way anymore. I said, Betty, when I get home, I'm getting my stuff and I'm leaving this place. And I, I did. My mother said, where are you going? I said, I'm leaving. I said, I got friends. I got somewhere else to sleep. I'm leaving. I got my clothes. I got my car. And I left. I was by the wayside. By the wayside. Need somebody, somebody to help me. Somebody to help me. There was nobody to help me at that time. It was just like that blind beggar. He's crying out, and he's asking for some help. He's asking the Son of God to help him. And the first thing I want you to see right here that happened was, is that Jesus heard his cry. Jesus heard his cry. Look at verse 40. It says, after they rebuked him and told him to be quiet, he cried out again, Thou Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. <laughs> he said, Jesus can't hear you. Jesus cannot hear you. Jesus heard his cry. 
Jesus heard his cry. Jesus, Jesus stopped on that path. He had the multitude with him. There were a lot of things going on. But I want to tell you something. Jesus can, it doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter how many things are happening or how busy he is. Jesus, when he was on that path, his ear was in tune to those that are by the wayside. Those by the wayside. I wonder how our ears are. I wonder if we're walking through this life with all that we have going, if, if the very people we come in contact, if their soul was crying out, could we hear it? Could we hear their soul calling and asking for help? I remember when I graduated from high school, I told my mother, because she made, I ended up going back to the house because a policeman came and got me. And, and I remember the whole time I fought with my mother, I said, I'm leaving here as soon as I graduate. As soon as I turn 18 and graduate, I'm getting out of here if you don't change these rules. And Because, uh, see, I could drink and smoke in front of my parents when I was 12 and 13 years old. I said, I'm getting out of here. She said, well, you're going to stay here? You follow my rules. You, you want to follow my rules? You get out. That night from graduation, I came home. Boy, I told her, I told her the way it was going to be, and she said, no, that ain't happening. It's going to be this way. I got up that next morning. I got up the next morning. I got in my car, and I drove down. I walked inside an office. I said, I, I, said, I, I need to ask you a question. I said, my mother controls every aspect of my life. She's got so many rules. I even have to be home at 11 o'clock at night. How ridiculous is that? I said, I said, she wants to control everything. I said, now, I need, you to, I need you to tell me something. I said, if I joined the United States Air Force, would I be free? He said, well, certainly you'd be free. I said, great. I said, uh, I said let, me, let me sign a contract. He said, okay. He said, how many years you want? I said, how many years can I sign up for? He said, four or six. I said, give me the six. I signed up for six years, right out of the gate, you know. Signed up for it. I was so excited I went home, buddy. I, was, I had to be there at 3 o'clock in the morning. I took a bunch of tests and everything, got all that out of the way. I was ready to go and got home, and I was so happy. And I walked into the house, and I said, well, I told you. I told you I was going to get out of here. She said, where are, you, where are you going? I said, I just enlisted in the United States Air Force. She said, you did? I said, yes, I did. She said, what time you got to be there? I said, I got to be there at 3 o'clock in the morning. She said, I, I'll take you. And listen, when my mother was agreeing with me, Pastor, that wasn't always in my best interest when she was agreeing with me about it. She took me down there and dropped me off, though. And uh, I want to tell you something. It was rough. It was rough. But when I got done with boot camp, they fixed me on the outside. They didn't touch the inside at all, but they fixed me on the outside. And at my first duty station, I met my wife, Chona. And uh, her dad was also in the military. I was at Cannon Air Force Base. And we got married, and we went to Japan. And, uh, and when I got to Japan, there was a Jew named Jeff Goldstein. And every day I had to take paperwork from our office to his office. And when I would get to his office, uh, he, would, he would have to sign that paperwork and put a stamp on it before I could leave. And it usually, there were like 25 or 30 every time. <laughs> and he would just go on and on about his church. And I mean, I, I, he would ask me, can I bring my pastor to visit you? I said, no, I don't want to see your pastor, and I don't want you to come to my house. And I mean, I, listen, I know what it is to be rude to someone that's trying to help you. All right? I mean, I even said a couple times I cussed at him because he just wouldn't leave me alone. And that went on for six weeks. 
You know what was going on? Jeff Goldstein, the Lord inside him, heard my cry. He kept plugging away at me. He kept coming back for more. He stayed the course. He took the things I said, and he did not get offended. Every day that I would go to his office was a brand new opportunity. He heard my soul crying out. After six weeks, I finally decided I might as well let him come to my house because he will not leave me alone until he comes to my house. I'm going to let him come to my house. I let him come to my house. His soul was in tune. He could hear my soul crying out for help. So I let him come. He heard my cry. Do you hear the cry of men, whether they be here close by or in the other most parts of the world? Do you hear the cry of souls in need for someone to come? I'm so thankful that one day Jeff Goldstein heard my soul crying. The second thing I want you to see here quickly is, is that Jesus inquired as to the man's need. Jesus inquired to the man's need. When they brought, brought him to Jesus, Jesus asked him, saying, What will thou that I shall do unto thee? He said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. He said, Lord, I just want to get my sight. He said, Lord, I just want to get my sight. I remember that night they came to my house. <laughs> my wife said, we got to hurry and get ready. Those people are coming over. I said, I decided I don't want them to come over. I got up. I shut off every light in our house. <laughs> yep. They got my wife sitting down on the couch. Got the dog sitting down on the couch, threatened the dog to kill her if she started barking. <laughs> and uh, believe me, she didn't bark because she already knew. And she's sitting there looking at me like, Is it, are you going to be nice to me today? Yes. I'm telling you, don't you bark. Boy, they got there. I could hear Goldstein. Jeff Goldstein was the kind of guy that when he talked, you could hear him. It didn't matter where he was at. I mean, like if he pulled out in the parking lot out there, we would know that he arrived. Because, I mean, it just penetrated all these walls, and we would know Jeff Goldstein's out there. And uh, they were getting out of the car, and I'm thinking, why are they getting out of the car? They, there's no lights on here. <laughs> why are they getting out? And he said, oh, yeah, they're home. There's his car. That's the car he pulls up in every day at my office. We're not answering the door. They came to our door. I told my wife, I said, just patient. They, they, they're leaving. They, they're going to put a piece of paper in the door. And sorry they missed us, and they'll be gone. Nope. A few minutes went by. I could hear them out there talking. Really hard this time. Scared me. My wife jumped up. She runs to the door to open it. I jumped up because I knew she was going to open the door. I hit the light switch, cut on the TV, and Chi-Chi's running all over the house just making all kinds of racket. They came into our house. We're shaking hands, shaking hands, telling them we're glad to see them. My wife was glad to see them. I wasn't glad to see them. She was glad they were there. They talked, talked, talked. 45 minutes went by. They asked us every question you could ask somebody, I think, in 45 minutes. And never said a word about Jesus. 
And I was thinking, they're never going to leave. <laughs> I said, I said, man, I, I said, hey, pastor, I thought you came here to share the Bible with me. He said, I did. I said, good. Not because I wanted to hear anything. I just wanted him out. That's what I want. He opened the Bible. He started sharing the Bible with me. And as he was sharing the Bible with me, I could see something. I could see that in his eyes, he genuinely believed everything he was telling me. And he genuinely cared about me. It's just like that blind beggar. Jesus, Jesus already knew what he needed. He said, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? How can I help you? As the pastor talked, I started to realize, maybe you can get saved. Maybe you, aren't, maybe you aren't as bad as you thought you were. Maybe there is provision that you can get saved. Maybe, maybe it can happen. And the more the pastor talked, I started thinking, I can get saved. I could get saved. I can have all my sin, even the, the ones that I thought that you could never forgive, they can, be all, they can all be forgiven. And uh, he looked at my wife. He said, Miss Jonah, would you like to get saved? She said, yes, I would like to get saved. He looked at me. He said, Ronnie, would you like to get saved? I said, Pastor, I've been awful bad. He said, don't worry. The Lord has power over all your sin. You want to be saved? Yes, I want to get saved. 8.30, October the 15th, 1981. Me and my wife got on our knees in our Japanese apartment. And we ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into our heart. Save our soul. I want to tell you something. There's one thing that I'm 100,000% 100, sure of. The man that got on his knees was not the same man that got up. Was not the same. God, God heard my cry. God God could see my need. And the last thing was God, the Lord Jesus Christ, administered the cure. You see, it is not enough in this life to hear with the ears of Jesus. It is not enough to simply see with the eyes of Jesus. It is only enough if we can administer the cure that's been placed into our hands. Then it's enough. Then it changed a life. I remember getting up off my knees that night, Pastor. The pastor was, kept looking at the top of my refrigerator and he's sharing verses of assurance. And finally, I just asked him, I said, Pastor, is there something wrong with my refrigerator? <laughs> I just, uh, he said, yes, Brother Alter. He said, I, I, I have to tell you, I'm worried about you. I'm worried about your refrigerator. I said, why? He said, I'm worried about what's on top of it. I said, oh. I'm telling you, there were so many liquor bottles on top of my refrigerator, you couldn't put another one up there if you wanted to. And, it, and a lot of them weren't even open yet. And, uh, and uh, he said, you know, drinking 
will destroy you. I said, really? He said, well, what do you, what do you think about drinking? I said, well, 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 my dad, he was a really bad drinker. And yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. It will destroy you. There's no doubt about it. He said, you need to get rid of that. I said, really? He said, yes, you should get rid of that tonight. I said, well, I said, I said I'm going to get rid of it. He said, when? I said, first thing in the morning. He said, what are you going to do with that? I said, I'm going to load it up into some boxes. I'm going to take it to work. And all of my buddies drink. I'm going to sell it to them for a real low price. He said, oh, Ronnie, you can't do that. You can't sell that liquor to them. If it's bad for you, it's bad for them. He said, you can't do that. I said, well, what do you suggest? He said, I think we just need to pour it out. There's a sink right there. We can just pour it out. I said, pour it out. It never crossed my mind that we would pour that stuff out. I mean, you know, it's like, I mean, I just got saved, but I mean, I'm still thinking, wow, this is crazy pouring this stuff out. But boy, he got me over to the sink, and they started handing those bottles to me. And I'm sitting there. I got a bottle in each hand pouring those things out. He said, Miss Tony, you got a knife because some of these things got a stopper in the end of it. We need to cut that stopper out of there. We'll be here all night. I'm pouring that liquor down the drain. All those bottles, all up, every single one of them. We didn't need no Drano in our house, but our pipes were clean. <laughs> and uh, I got all that stuff poured out. And the pastor started taking off to the, to the refrigerator. He said, hey, well, uh, is there any beer in this refrigerator? You buy any beer today? I said, I bought a whole case of beer. I said, is beer bad for you too? He said, yeah, beer's bad for you too. He said, we got to pour that out too. He said, Goldstein, get over here. He put Goldstein between us. I was over at the sink, and he was digging. I hadn't known him two hours. He was digging the beers out of my refrigerator, handing them Goldstein. Goldstein was handing them to me. I was popping the lid, putting them in the sink. All 24 cans. Down the drain. I sat down. I was a little nervous at this time. Lots going on that night. I noticed he was watching my hand. He said, Brother uh, can I ask you one more question? I said, yes, sir. He said, you think it might be, be wrong to smoke? I said, well, it probably is. He said, no, don't take my word for it. He said, now listen, you turn that back cigarette sideways right there. You read that. He said, even your boss, federal government, is telling you that that's bad for you. You should stop it. I said, you're right, Pastor. I probably should stop that too. I had just bought three cartons of cigarettes. <laughs> Because payday, you bought everything as a military guy. You just bought it all on payday because if you didn't buy it on payday, you didn't have any money at the end of the month, so you are in trouble. I just bought it all. And then poured half of it down the drain, picks and give up the other half to him. <laughs> so I gave him all those cigarettes. I also did a little flushing in a toilet back there before I came in. Just get rid of all of it. I remember he prayed that night. And while he was praying for me to be able to stop all that, I was saying, Lord, if you, if you want me to stop all this, you will have to do something because I've been doing this for a long time. I went to work the next day, and some of the guys kept coming to me, and they said, Bro, Autry, Ronnie, uh, Sergeant Autry, what is going on with you? You're different today. I said, I'm different today. Yeah, you're different today. Something happened to you? I said, why do you, why you say I'm different today? Why are you saying I'm different? Well, because normally every other word come out of your mouth is not something we necessarily want to hear, and you're not talking that way today. You know something? 
That pastor never one time talked to me about cussing. Never, never told me nothing about cussing. No. It's just when the Lord came in, he just got rid of the bad tongue. <laughs> he just fixed it all. <laughs> no more drinking, no more smoking, no more cussing. Cleaned it all. I tell you, there are souls just like I was. Everywhere you and I go, there are souls just like that. They're by the wayside. They're by the wayside. And I tell you, if we got the ears of Jesus, we can hear them. Uh, Jeff Goldstein had the ears of Jesus. If we have the eyes, if we have the eyes of Jesus, we can see them. If we, if we have the mind to deliver the gospel, we can cure them through the power of salvation. The power of God. We are his representatives. He has empowered us. He has given us his ears. He has given us his eyes. He has given us his ability to change lives. I want to ask you as you bow your head, because we're wrapping up. Bow your head, please, for just one second. No one's looking around. <laughs>